0: Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. This week with Bob Mortimer.
1: Hello and welcome to Charlie Higson and Friends on Scala Radio. Today, I'm delighted to welcome uh, Bob Mortimer.
2: Hello, Bob. Hello, Charlie. Thank you for having me.
1: Well, it's lovely to have you on. I mean, I was trying to remember. I mean, I guess the first time we met would have been when I came to see, I came to see the very last uh Vic Reeves' big night out you did at the Goldsmiths Tavern before you moved to the larger venue, um, and I don't think I actually met you there, but I would have seen you perform. That was the first time I became aware of of Bob Mortimer and his many talents.
2: Was that the night when you were performing as well as was it? Doc no, Dave,
1: no, David no. Doc? That I just came down. Um, I, I I was at university with an old friend of Vic's called Alan Davidson, whose name got used for he was the Filthy Fox, I think, wasn't he, Alan Davidson? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yes, and he kept saying, I'll try and do a, a terrible accent. Oh, Charlie, you know, you've got to come and see my mate uh, Chin, as he was called at the time. Chin, he was, uh, yeah. He does these shows, and I thought, well, eventually, I thought, well, I'll go down, because South London felt a long way away from where I was. And then I just saw this most amazing show, which was the funniest, most interesting comedy I, I had ever seen, and I think probably still have. And there was his uh, sidekick, Bob Mortimer. <laughs> Do you have any, uh, any sort of image of how I first came across to you as sort of handsome, fascinating kind of uh, funny gentleman? No,
2: you looked, you were, um, you were quite scary, oh. you know, because uh, you'd probably be with Paul, and Paul's like chirpy Cockney. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's hard to make an impact when you're with him, isn't it, really?
1: Yeah, I mean, he he will go into a room and uh, try and charm everyone and be funny, and 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 I'll skulk in a corner.
2: Yeah, and uh, yes, you'd skulk in a corner. You're you're more of an observer of life, aren't you, Charlie? So, um, initially, a lot of people find you very very frightening. But of course, you're quite the reverse. He's the frightening ghoul. (laughs) You're the charming gentleman. (laughs) Well,
1: we'll come we'll come back to that uh, later. As this is. Ostensibly a music program from a music station, we ought to play some music. So I did ask when, when uh, to my guest coming on uh, to say, you know, what was the sort of first piece of music that you were aware of that there was this thing other than pop music called classical music? And you chose Mozart's 40th, a very well-known piece of music. Which actually, and I don't want to preempt what you're going to say, but did you know about it because there was the pop music version of it?
2: No, this is genuinely, in. In we were in a sort of semi-detached house with two rooms downstairs and one was the posh room and as was the same with a lot of people <laughs> those, those days, the posh room had the, do you call them a gramophone, the long cabinet that had the record player? Yes, in Yes,
1: and with probably one built-in speaker.
2: A built-in speaker and a rack with records in. Yes, and, and it
1: made uh, a nice wood veneer on it.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, I think they're very valuable now, aren't they? It, well, of, probably are, you know. Millennials would buy any old crap, and there was uh, one. There was one album in there that you, you know, there was things I don't know. Bing Crosby, Arthur Askey, the Billy yeah. Cotton Band. That, <laughs> um, I sort of recognised that there was there was a human behind them, you know. Yes. So I'd listen to Bing Crosby or Frank Sinatra or whatever, but there was this one record. I think it might have been in a in a. Was there a sort of range of classical that you could get were very cheap, like MFP or something?
1: Yes, or... there, yeah, there was. I mean, and and you'd get sort of ranges called things like music for pleasure and yeah, well, that is MFP, isn't it? Music it, for pleasure. And
2: yeah. There was this one, there was this Mozart one. So that was the first time that uh, I kind of um, listened to one of these, what I would have considered this, I'm only seven or eight, Charlie, would have considered um, the music from the old forests or something. <laughs>
1: Would you have actually put that record on the gramophone yourself or would you have listened to it when your parents put it on?
2: I would think, my guess would be that I would have listened to it when my parents weren't there. Um, I don't think I had permission to operate, (laughs) to pilot that incredible bit of machinery. Um, So, no, I'll I'll have put it on. And I presume I rejected it, Charlie, but I've always remembered that tune. I knew that tune before we, you know, before it, it went into adverts and into yeah well there was
1: that there was a sort of a pop version with a sort of pop backing with with, with drums it calls mozart 40 i think which was was quite a big right, hit yes. but,
2: no, no that was, sort was sort of my first piece and uh, i kind of rejected that area of uh music well
1: totally did you did you you never would willingly choose to listen to any other um
2: non-pop music shall we say no, i know i never have um, and it occasionally, as you'll see today, it occasionally does sort of impinge on my life and it, it is spectacular. But um, it takes a lot of investment, Charlie, because I'm not la- I'm not lazy with listening to music. When I, I mean, I was obsessed with prog rock in the 70s um, and that took a bit of investment. Um, yeah,
1: I mean, I'd say that was, as, uh, you know, should we say hard to listen to? <laughs> Yeah, as as, as classical music, although I was talking to um, Paul last week, Paul Whitehouse, who I had on. And we were talking about how a lot of people think you have to you have to sort of try hard and make an effort and be clever to listen to classical music. But actually, it's all around us and we're listening to it in adverts and films and TV and and games. But we just don't think of it as 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 classical music. But as you say, I think a lot of people wouldn't say, "Okay, I'm going to sit in an armchair now and I'm going to listen to an entire Beethoven Symphony but it, but it is around and, and, and in our lives and uh, I mean for me one of the uh, one of the early pieces like the Mozart 40th that was kind of everywhere and I would listen to a lot would have been vivaldi's four seasons mm. um, and I think that's quite accessible, certainly as a kid because it sort of tells a story it's like well this piece is about summer, this is about mm. winter uh, and and those themes um, have been used so often in in particularly in films now, you are listening to Scala Radio with me, Charlie Higson, and my guest this week, Bob Mortimer, whose choice we hear next, which actually I'm really pleased that you chose this, Bob. It's Bach's Cello Suite Number 1 in G, uh, because I had it on a list of, of tracks that I'd really like to play uh, in this little series. So uh, great minds think alike, or great ears listener like some, something like that. <laughs> So that was Bach's cello suite number
2: one in G major. So, uh, uh, Bob, why uh, did you choose that piece? Well, because for my um, sensibilities, it's very melodic and it has that um, it has that strange quality where um, it can accompany very sad imagery or very triumphant imagery. Um, and I like a lot of the pieces that I've chosen today are just these re- repetitive melodies, which you mm. get a little bit with that back one. And they seem to appeal to me, Charlie. Can't well,
1: are you, well, them. there's absolutely nothing wrong. You know, why not? I mean, th- 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 there is a certain in some small areas of the classical music world, there's a certain sort of snobbishness about, oh, we can't have tunes. You know, we've moved beyond tunes, you think. But actually, people in general, have not moved beyond tunes. That's we do respond to that, mm. um, and 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 you know absolutely. And and I, it's also really interesting what you said about it. it. It can be happy or sad or whatever you want it to be. For me, that's one of the reasons I love classical music is because it is abstract. Most of it, it is not saying this is what this is about. Which is why I personally, I I hardly ever listen to sort of any straight pop music because with the lyrics there, it. it pretty much it says one thing it says this is what this song's about and this is what you need to think about it but what i love about classical music is you can just just lose yourself in it and it can create whatever meanings it likes to you although as i said when i was a kid getting into it it's great to have a hook like the four seasons or the planet suite by holst mm-hmm. right this is mars it's about war and
2: stuff like that it's interesting with lyrics though charlie because Lyrics meant something very different to me when I was younger and just Mm. discovering pop music than they do now. As an adult, I now realize what they're getting at. And there's also, there are some incredible um, songwriters, I'd say Joni Mitchell, probably the most. Yes. Um, Maybe Neil Young, where there is an ambiguity within the lyrics. And you you can kind of choose the version you want to choose, you know?
1: Yes, I guess if it's moving yeah. more towards like the sort of poetry that yeah that Johnny Mitchell, I mean, again for me Bob Dylan is quite good for that because I don't think he even knew what he was singing about in a lot of, <laughs> in a lot of his songs. Uh, when he wrote his autobiography, he did actually send out messages to his fans saying, "Can you remind me what I was doing at the time and why I wrote this song?" But I do like I I look that and unlike some of the, you know something like "Astral Weeks" by Van Morrison, mm. for me that's a great. Uh, almost an abstract you know the the lyrics almost sort of go into into jazz territory where and it's
2: interesting Charlie you know as we um, both get older it's kind of those ambiguous poetic songwriters that I that I don't know if you're the same they're the ones that I still listen to I don't listen to the pop music much more although I adored it at the time exactly
1: and 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 often those tracks you've heard so many times and for me it's the same with with classical music there's is you know i think when i was young i would listen to certain types and as i get older i'm much more interested in in the likes of 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 and something like that which is a bit less in your face um and well this next piece is a choice of yours it's uh one of chopin's nocturnes it's number six
2: why that piece bob that's a piece from my favourite um, ever movie, which is called Barbara. Which Barbara? Is Barbara from 2012. Right. It's an East German film that I absolutely adore. When I was recovering from my uh, heart operation, I yeah. spent a lot of time in front of the TV, just sitting scared on my sofa, not really daring to move. And I started watching a lot of um, South American and East German movies. Mm. And this one is a cracker. And boy, does the Chopin piece work well with it. It's a terribly sad film. So it's one of those. It's um, I've chosen it because it reminds me of that beautiful film, really.
1: And presumably also because you did get better, and get back on track and get your life together, then... It's not a totally sad memory. There's a, I suppose, bittersweet might be
2: the word. It's bittersweet. Yes, it reminds me. I've chosen another piece of music um, today that's from that same period. From another. I mean, book. did
1: you did you find yourself listening to more or less music at the time?
2: Did music help? Um, no, I don't think so. I think it it's um, felt kind of too intrusive into the piece that I was trying to create. You know, the little bubble I was trying to create. I haven't right. listened to um the the lockdown's been um, difficult for me for music because I, I've got into the habit now of I listen to music in the car. Yeah, That's yeah. The only time I listen to it. I think it starts happening when you have children and you you know you can't really ramp up your music when they're trying to sleep or you you simply don't really have time. Mm. So but I, I Bob,
1: that was a long time ago.
2: <laughs> so, you know, I listened in the car, so I feel like I haven't been any music for so long. Um, but yes, no, the, the, this track, it does remind me of that time, which um, I like to try and think of now as a heroic four months, you know, where I re-evaluate, re-evaluated my life. You know, I got back to fitness and I yeah. decided to make a new start.
1: And you were helped by European and South American cinema.
2: Yeah. So this is my thank you to Barbara.
1: <laughs> and Chopin, of course. Just quickly, I mean, you, you don't, do you play a musical instrument? You don't play the piano at all, do you?
2: No, I play the, um, I used to play the bass guitar. Right. I can pluck a bass guitar. I was in a, a punk band back in the well, day.
1: Well, I'd, I'd like to talk about that after. Let's actually listen to another piece of music. Tell us briefly why you got into this, and then maybe we'll t- talk about it a bit more after. It's from Othello, uh, the opera by Giuseppe Verdi, based on Othello. And this is from Act One, Un uh, Unvela Un Why have you chosen that?
2: Um, I chose this, child because about maybe a year and a half ago, I suppose par- partially out of obligation. I went to see a at the um, Royal Opera House. Why was it an obligation? Who, who forced you? Well, because um, <laughs> the son of um, a friend of myself and my wife's was the um, tenor ah. in it, Freddy de Tommaso, who's now becoming a big, a big um, rocket in the opera world. Yeah. And so I went along... And I was absolutely blown away by it. I thought it was fabulous, one of the best nights of my life. You know, I'd never been to opera before, Mm. um, never wanted to, but I thought this was um, absolutely beautiful. And forgive my ignorance, um, I really liked what they call the soprano. I really loved the voice and the the tunes. Um, I don't know if that's the way with opera. Are the sopranos the superstars?
1: Well, it's, it's it depends. I mean, let, let's let's listen to this piece, and then we'll pick up on that after. Okay. <laughs> You're listening to Charlie Higson and Friends here on Scala Radio. I'm Charlie Higson, and my friend this week is a very old friend of mine, the great Bob Mortimer. Uh, Are you enjoying the music so far, Bob?
2: Very much. Well, I chose them, so yeah.
1: Yeah, and that was one one of your choices, which was from Othello, and you were talking about how much you enjoyed um, soprano. I mean, I find with sopranos that when you hear... A great soprano actually live on stage it is something almost supernatural that you cannot believe that this this extraordinary sound is coming out of a person on stage without a microphone singing over an an entire orchestra Mm.
0: Uh,
1: and sometimes on, on record sopranos can be a little bit kind of Come across as a bit harsh and in your face, and you're not so aware of that sort of magical quality of it. Um, so when you hear a, a great one live, it is it is it's unbelievable. Well, I'm I'm you know I'm really glad that you enjoyed the going to see Otello. I mean, but did it inspire you to maybe think I'll go and see another opera?
2: I will definitely go and see another opera. It's now something that I will do. I saw it just before lockdown. I haven't had a chance. right. Okay. I- Actually, my wife did go and see Freddie uh, performing in Amsterdam not so long ago. But yes, no, that's on my. Um, I would put that in my list of hobbies now on a CV. <laughs> Attending the opera. No, I thought it was that you know I didn't I didn't know the tunes particularly, but it's as you say I'd never experienced that live unmicrophoned soprano yeah. voice. Um, and I mean, I mean, going to the Roll Opera House is an
1: experience in itself as well, isn't it? I mean, it is a bit like a sort of the Disneyland of, of classical music. You're in such an yeah, awesome, awesome environment.
2: Wonderful evening. I, I was taken to see an orchestra when I was from school when I would be about 14. And I think it's probably everyone's experience that for the first 10 minutes, you're blown away just by the volume, mm. just by the sort of the experience. It's quite sort of visceral But then if you don't know the music, um, you get a bit fidgety. At least I did.
1: Yeah, Uh, I mean, it's a tricky one. I think you have to sort of put your brain, reset your brain into a different mode and try and just switch everything else off and just sort of listen, as it were, without trying to. Think about what it might mean or impose anything on it, but just sort of try and gel with the with the orchestra. And you know, it, sometimes that's easier than than others. Is it?
2: Know, nice, is it meant to be a nice opera, Charlie? Is it considered a good opera? It's one of the greats.
1: I, I don't think you know. It's not. It hasn't got so many romantic arias as as in other Verdi operas, and and it hasn't got as many sort of of those sort of real popular arias in it that the likes of Pavarotti and Domingo and the Three Tenors would would belt out Mm. that that everyone kind of knows um so you know I think that's a really interesting choice for you to go and see first and to enjoy it because you know if I was to say to someone well go and see an opera because you really love it you know you might say go and see Carmen which has got Mm. even if you didn't think you knew the tunes you would know most of them in the end particularly Mm. because like the, the Toreadora which is a sort of a bit of a football chant, yeah That was the opening movement of Ralph Vaughan Williams' A Sea Symphony. Uh, that piece is called A Song for All Seas, All Ships, as chosen by my guest. I'm Charlie Higson here on Scala, and my guest this week is Bob Mortimer, who's playing some music that means something to him. And, and Bob, that's a very, very rousing piece of music.
2: It is. Maybe, I mean, um, the most rousing bit of classical music that's been part of my life for sure because it's it's kind of followed me around for the last 30 years that bit of music because it's the music that uh, Vic and I go on stage to um
1: yeah well it but, has a great sort of here it is folks bang yeah uh, a, a feel to it doesn't it
2: yeah well um I think I think Jim always liked the fact that um it's just such an incredible fanfare and then Onto stage, just walks a block from the northeast. <laughs> Pretty much to say, I suppose. It's a nice juxtaposition, you know. Um, no, it's like it always gives me um, goosebumps just because of what I associate it with. You know, I'm stood backstage with a big crowd out yeah. the front, nervous stomach. Um, yeah, because you
1: you were you were just about to go on on tour, weren't you? When you had your you were feeling a bit knackered and you went to the doctor and and he pretty much rushed you to hospital didn't he
2: yeah within about a week so we had to cancel the tour um but then i think maybe only 12 or 14 weeks later we we um we rescheduled it and went on again so um yeah that's a moment i'll never forget that's associated with this piece of music because there was a certain um, heart rate that I wasn't meant to to get above. <laughs> that my my consultant had said, "You can tour, but you've got to be careful." And were and, you going I, on
1: stage with a with a heart rate monitor?
2: Yeah, and checking yeah, on it my, on my wrist. <laughs> and uh, my, my heart rate was already above that as I stood behind the stage curtain waiting to go on. So I kind of had to make this decision: Are you going to go for it? Mm. you know are you going to and um and so I in a
1: way that fan flare from vaughn williams was here he is folks he's back from the dead it's yeah. mortimer yeah, rising from of. the
2: sea yeah. <laughs> in my grandiose mind yeah
1: well i mean you know it was great that you had that sort of ambition to say right look i'm going to get well so i can do this too because the treatment of 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 um of a heart Problems has, has so completely done an about face has not it where it used to be no you've got to lie in your bed and not do anything for two years mm. uh and then they realized actually that was that was killing people and actually yeah. you've got to get up and about haven't you
2: yes it's a psychological barrier you have to get through you know your first time that you walk then the first time that you maybe jog and mm. then for me the first time that you really put your heart under some pressure. Um, the,
1: the first time you go on stage with Vic Reeves
2: yeah, and, and um, ask about. <laughs> it is a psychological battle, you know, which I, which I believe a lot of people, especially perhaps if they're a little bit older than me when it happens, they never take on that challenge, you know. They sit and watch yeah. East German movies. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe not so many. Have you ever seen the film, Barbara, Charlie?
1: I've not. Um, when you started to talk about it, I di- it, did, um, it did stir some memories that I think I had heard about it. I, I, I'm one of those people, I really have to steel myself to watch a film that I know is going to be quite, it's not hard work, but uh, you know, tangle with your emotions. Yeah. But every time when I watch one, I think I am so glad I actually did sit down and watch that. And mm. talking of films, this next piece of music is, is a piece of film music. Um, because I know that, you know, your way into listening to classical music has often been through through music in films. And this is from um, a French film. It's from Godard's Le Mépris, which means contempt. So you can see what kind of a film that might be. It's about a sort of um, group of people trying to make a film. It's got the great Brigitte Bardot in it. Uh, and the piece, the music for the film was scored by Georges Delarue, who wrote the music for m- a lot of the, the classic French New Wave films. And it is a, a lovely piece of music. It's called La Rupture chez Prokosh, The Rupture at Prokosh's House. It's probably not a great translation by Georges Delarue from uh, Goddard's film uh, Le Mepris. And while, we, uh, while we're talking and thinking about cinema, as a reminder that Mark Kermode was on Scala Radio yesterday with two hours of film music. If you missed it, you can listen back via ScalaRadio.co.uk or on the free Scala Radio app. Uh, And I'm here. I am Charlie Higson. I'm here with my friend, Bob Mortimer. We are just having a nice catch up, actually, because, of course, we've both been in uh, lockdown pretty much for the last year or so. And uh, this doing this series is just a good excuse for me to to talk to some old friends um, via the. Uh, via the gift of music.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've got my jab this afternoon, Charlie. So it's a, a a big day today for me.
1: That's fantastic, Bob. So I mean, are you in uh, with your heart problems, or ex-heart problems? I suppose. Are you are you in a? Does that put you in a higher risk category?
2: Yes, I'm in a a vulnerable category. So um, it's as Paul always says with the fishing program, it was one, we would never have had it commissioned. And two, it would never have worked without our heart conditions. So we've a lot to be um, grateful to our um, fluffy arteries.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I thought you were going to say fluffy show. Um, (laughs) No, I mean, it's been a a huge uh, success that show. And I notice there's quite a lot of shows on now, which are sort of obviously someone's gone in and said, well, you know, that fishing program has been quite a success. We'll do this, which, which in the past you think "Well, nobody would even listen to them. But as you say, your show is not just two old geezers who know each other well from the comedy world, going to some nice places and doing something they enjoy. It does have um, that underlying theme of, of of mortality. mortality. Yes. Yes which gives it, uh, which gives it a depth. And it, and it is something that we're always told that men don't talk about enough. And as a result, they don't get themselves checked out enough. Um, and so anything I think that can address that in an entertaining manner is brilliant.
2: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't our intention, Charlie, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when men meet in pubs or at dinner parties or wherever, mm. um, I think they all try to be, um, you know, cock of the table. Um, and it's all about laughter, and um, yeah, and
1: talking about things like politics or sport or yes. uh, a film you've watched. Yeah, and but- yeah, I, whenever I go out for you know if I've met met you Paul, uh, you and Paul, or I've gone out for a curry with with Paul, I'll, I'll come back and she'll say, "Oh, so how's his family?" And I say, oh, "I've got no idea. <laughs> we, we didn't get round to that." Uh, but yes. I can tell you about uh, something you watched on television the other
2: night. Yes. And it's it's interesting because I'd say it wasn't our intention. But if you sit with um, a bloke when you're certainly when you're our age with a bloke with no distractions, no pub, no beer, no yes. other people, it just happened. It's interesting that you know it's a nice task to set yourself um, sit with a friend um, in somewhere quiet for hours, and it does seem to naturally happen. So there's some kind of uh, there is a desire within there. Somewhere, yes. once you can get past the social. So, night. do they
1: film you for about three hours in the hope that you're going to get round to longer, or...
2: than, that. longer than that, Charlie? Longer than that. You know, when we, it's, it's always the same. When we first, the first morning's filming fishing, we're trying to be a laugh, Jack the yeah. Laugh. And yeah. So on. And then by mid afternoon, <laughs> You know, we are. It actually... is
1: Well, it's those moments when you're off guard or you're bored or or just something comes out of the blue are always yeah. better than something that you've prepared. about wouldn't it be funny if we did this? And then yeah. it and then, uh, yeah, it's there's those impromptu things, which I think are always stronger. As we're talking about your illness and getting over it and and your 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 period that you went through of 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 introspection, I suppose, when you first had it. And it's a bit slightly leading a heavy question, but I mean, did God come into it at all?
2: I think in that, um, that way that ever since you first got caught being a naughty boy when you were young, that you sort of appeal to a higher power to help you out. Yes. That probably crossed my mind in a flash a few times. But no, that's... Um, that's you didn't not- have
1: an inclination to, to, to go to church and listen to some uh, uh, heavenly music.
2: No, I didn't, Charlie. I think that's either within you or it's not. You know. Um, no, I, I I can't say that. I um. I think I went fully for the science, right? The okay. And I found solace in the words of consultants telling me that um, I was just mithering. Just get on with your (laughs) life, and that you're fine now. And showing me pictures of my arteries saying, look, they're okay. Look, the sewing. Because it's very hard to believe that, um, you know, that you can sew arteries and that they won't leak. It's very difficult to trust them for the first time. Well, particularly
1: when they tell you they've taken it out of your leg and they're stitching it out. I mean, it is is unbelievable. So your higher authority, into whose hands you put yourself, would be the surgeon
2: as it were I think so yeah and very comforting hands they are too you know
1: well we might talk about that a bit more let's let's play a piece of music which 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 has it has a sort of sounds of religious connotations but it also has uh, connotations of surgery and butchery Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's from the film Hannibal which is of course uh, Hannibal Lecter um, as played by Anthony Hopkins But it's a piece of music that sounds like a a religious piece. It's a Vide Cor Mayon by uh, Patrick Cassidy. So we'll play that and then we'll talk a little bit more about it afterwards. That was V-Day Mayhem by Patrick Cassidy from the film Hannibal, uh, as chosen by Bob Mortimer, who is my guest this week, who I'm talking to. I am Charlie Higson. He is Bob Mortimer. Bob, did you choose that because you're a fan of the film or because you saw the film and that music really stuck with you?
2: Um, I saw the film and that bit of music really stood out. I mean, I think it's really um, very beautiful. Um, the, the imagery of the, the, the film where it's placed in the film helps because it's an extraordinary well-shot sequence from within an opera house, I think. Right. And they're performing it on stage. Um, so that helped me penetrate it. I don't know whether I would have um, given it a second listen if, if right. the film hadn't had my full attention, you know? So they're doing
1: uh, a thing where the the, the music is, is kind of playing live in the film, as it were, at an event, but then becomes the soundtrack to a sequence. Yes which can be hugely effective.
2: Do you like it, Charlie? I ask in the sense of like um, choosing a bit from a Hannibal Lecter film. Um, it doesn't
1: matter where the music comes from or, or what the original meaning of it was at all. I think music is always what it means to you at the moment of listening, and it can mean something completely different every time. And, you know, you can, I, don't, I don't hold with getting into sort of good or bad music, or if it comes from a film, it can't be as good as if it was written for, for a concert hall. And that it's nonsense. I mean, music is music. And if someone loves a piece of music, fine. It's
2: interesting, isn't it Charlie? Because part of my reluctance to ever speak about um, classical music is for fear of seeming ignorant
1: yeah, which is such a shame because, uh, and this is something I was talking to, to Paul about last week, is this that, you know,
2: it,
1: it, it can be presented in a way to you that you feel, well, I should know this and that in order to understand what this means, rather than just saying, here's a great tune, have a listen.
2: Yeah, it's a, there's, I think there's an analogy with the fishing, Charlie. When, ah. when, you're, when you go fishing in the rarefied sort of places that Paul takes me, there's a There's an awful lot of kit and technique involved, mm. and if you don't have that kit or you don't have that technique, you feel slightly unwelcome um you feel like you, you you know that you are being looked looked down upon and that well you, paul you,
1: does boss you around and shout at you almost non-stop through the program am not surprised you feel unwelcome
2: <laughs> no i would never no paul's fabulous paul has no snobbery about it, but it does exist there you know the the sort of the wrong rod you've got to be on the right beat you've got to- yeah
1: well i think i think particularly that is in in the world of the rarefied world of, of fly fishing which is tends to be on private stretches of river. You've got to pay quite a lot to get there. And fly fishing has sort of evolved to make it as hard as possible to actually catch a fish, hasn't it?
2: Yes, it seems that way, yeah. Because, you
1: know, you could just get a big net and um, a harpoon gun or whatever, and you'd get those fish out of there quite easily.
2: Yes, there but, are fly fishing techniques, Jolly. I didn't realise this till I went with Paul. Um, fly fishing techniques that are actually banned from most rivers because yeah. they actually make it relatively easy.
1: Yeah, and it's this idea of you've got to try and mimic the natural conditions of the mayfly yeah. uh, alighting on the surface of the water. Yeah.
2: Um, but I sometimes feel like that with fishing. If I'm talking to a fisherman, I feel very apologetic because I don't know enough. Mm. And I feel a bit of the same if I was talking about classical music. But I think with, with the gun fishing show, I kind of think that I get the last laugh because I think I enjoy it more than they do. <laughs> You certainly look
1: like you're enjoying it. Yeah.
0: In episode three of the Charlie Higson and Friends podcast, we heard an extract of the Prelude of Bach's Cello Suite No. 2, played there by David Kennedy and used with permission from Signum Recordings. And then we heard an extract of Verdi's Othello, performed by the London Symphony Orchestra and Chorus, conducted by Colin Davis, available on the London Symphony Orchestra's own label, LSO Live. The Halle Orchestra and Mark Elder were playing Vaughan Williams' A Sea Symphony, available to buy, at Halle.co.uk. The final extracts were from Vide Cormeum from Hannibal by Patrick Cassidy and Hans Zimmer, performed by the Lyndhurst Orchestra under Gavin Greenaway, and the soloists were Daniel Denise and Bruno Lazzaretti. In the next episode of the Charlie Higson and Friends podcast, Bob and Charlie talk about Would I Lie to You, the music from the Gone Fishing TV show and whether it's possible to listen to music while writing. And if you'd like to discover more about classical music, then check out Scala Radio, home to Angelica Bell, Simon Mayo, Mark Kermode and me, Penny Smith, broadcasting across the UK on DAB Digital Radio, online, smart speaker, on the free-to-download app, and on Sky TV channel 0216.